Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome to the Shepherd's Crook. I hope you guys are all doing well this morning. I thought I would introduce a new series. It's going to be a small series, kind of based on what I'm doing at our church right now, which is a sermon series on marriage. And I thought I would talk about masculine sins and feminine sins. This may be a new concept for you as you've been thinking through manhood, womanhood over the years, and as you've been preaching on on marriage. I thought I would highlight for you the differences of these particular sins that are highlighted in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then how this unfolds the rest of the scriptures and, and what it looks like in the home, church, and world. So what do masculine sins look like in the home, church, and world? What do feminine sins look like in the home, church, and world? And I'll talk about masculine sins this week, feminine sins the next week. And if you don't know, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And in that context of male and female, the image of God, God created men with not just a masculine body, but a masculine mind, masculine soul. And God created women with a feminine body, feminine soul. So these sins that we're going to have, these natural propensities to sin, are going to be unique to us. Not that they're always the exact same, but there are going to be some similarities as we look at men as a whole and as we look at how they function in the context of the home, church, and world. And then when we think about women, the same thing. There's going to be these common sins. And then in marriage, as I've been talking to our church, there's these common sins in marriage that are the same for basically every married couple. You have love, respect, significance, security. You have um, just the you know communication, sex, money. All these things are common within marriage because these sins are so common in men and women. So that's what we're going to talk about. But let's go ahead and pray. And then I'll remind you of the intensive, and then we'll get right into our content today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace that's upon us. We ask for wisdom as we work through this. I want to be helpful to the pastors listening in and anybody else that's listening in as well to think through these trends of masculine sins that are observable in every man and that's in the heart of every single pastor as well. And then for the ladies that listen in next week, God, I pray this would be helpful to you know for them to be thinking through about their own sins and natural propensities and proclivities that they've got to be aware of and watch out for. I trust that you're going to help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Well, the intensive's coming up. We have just a couple weeks. I'm going to be releasing the schedule this week for everybody to look at. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you want to come, there's still time. I need you to register as soon as possible. i got to pay for a bunch of stuff on the front end. So when registrations come in, that's helpful to get the ball rolling. And, in fact, it already is. I've already got the swag stuff that everybody's going to get. And then I've got to get everything in order where we're staying at the campground. Got to buy all the food. We're going to have a lot of great food, a lot of good fun and would love for you to come. So if you can be there May 11th through the 13th, just follow the links in the show notes. Would love to have you. All right. So masculine sins. There's a lot of talk about masculine, about masculinity and the problems of masculinity. And that's not what we're going to be addressing today because masculinity is a good thing. It's a God created thing. Just like femininity is a good thing and a God-created thing, and we need to embrace that. You guys know this. You've been hearing me for years now talk about this. But one of the things we have to look at when we look at the garden is uh, Genesis chapter chapter 1 and 2 and what's happening in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1 is a, a, a quick, fast creation story narrative where we're told what happened, what's happened. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a slow-down, slow-mo version of what happens with Adam and Eve as they're created. And we find out that Adam is created first. He's given authority in the garden. He's got authority over everything. And so this, this is a, something that is in the garden. It's not a consequence of the garden. Is that the man has authority. God has given Adam responsibilities in the garden to work and keep the garden. He's supposed to keep the garden as the garden. 
So if anything comes in to uh, work against the garden being cultivated, built, kept, then he, he is responsible to do whatever he can to keep the garden, to make it be as it is, and then to expand it as God has directed him. Then Eve comes on the scene, and he has authority over Eve as well. It's God-given. And what he was responsible to do with Eve is to tell her the covenant of works. If you remember in Genesis chapter 2, when we get into the covenant of works given to Adam, Adam was instructed, and then as he is responsible and should be responsible, he was instructed to tell that to Eve. And we know in the conversation between Eve and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam did, in fact, tell Eve this covenant of works because she set it back partially and even added a little bit to the serpent. So Adam was responsible. He had real authority in the garden. Authority to the man is not a consequence of the fall. Eve did not become a helper after the fall. She was created as as a helper before the fall. It's important for us to understand that. But one of the things that we see clearly in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 is that Adam took his authority and used it in a wrong way. And the way that he misused that authority in Genesis chapter 3 is through listening to his wife when he should have been listening to God. He heard his wife teach him rather than obeying God teach, God's word to him. He obeyed his wife's word to him instead of God's word to him. And what he should have done is said no to the serpent. He should have knocked the hand or knocked the fruit of uh, that was in Eve's hand, not let her eat it. He was right there with her. And there is some debate whether he was there with her during the whole conversation or just at the end when she's eating the fruit. But either way, still, we see this masculine sin of passivity. It's there in the garden. It's already there. It's a part of what it means to be a male. In the same way that Eve was deceived, where she's got these natural sin propensities of deception, and that's an ongoing thing we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's why women are not allowed to teach or exercise authority over men is because of this natural propensity to being deceived. In the same way, right there in the garden, there's this sin proclivity within within him to be passive, to take this authority and then exercise this authority in a less than faithful way. And so we see this then as an archetype figure where we see all throughout the scriptures and we see in every man anecdotally and in our own hearts, this, <clears throat> this passivity. But then after the fall, we see in Genesis chapter 3, as the judgments are laid down on the serpent, the woman, the man, what we see is to the woman is the desire shall be contrary to, her, to your husband. We'll talk about that next week. But he shall rule over you. This authority rule is continuing on after the fall. But here's the problem. Without a rightly ordered heart, without a restored nature, the rule that the man will have over the woman is not going to be a naturally godly rule. And this is where we get this idea of control or domineering. And we see another sin propensity that kind of get the figurehead masculine sins in order for us, where it comes into visibility here, where you either have passivity or you have this dominance. And then there's all these splinter masculine sins that are underneath that. So you could talk about avoidance, you could talk about control or manipulation, that sort of thing. Within each of these, there's these subcategories of masculine sins that are addressed by God in the scriptures and even, you know, called out from God to men in the scriptures, and we need to be aware of those things. So we're going to look at that then, these two figurehead sins, and then some of their splinters and their subcategories as it relates to the home church and world. Okay, we ready? Lean in, get ready. Here we go. In the home. How do these work in the home? Well, number one, in the home, we see that it is the type of man, we see the type of man who listens to his wife rather than listening to God. Okay, this is what passivity looks like in the, in the context of a home. It's listening to her teaching. It's letting her lead. It's letting her be in charge. 
And instead of him taking the responsibility given to him and everything that was put upon him by God, he lets her take all of that. And one of the things I said yesterday is I bet women would love it for it to be as easy as it is for men to take their curse and place it on the on the shoulders of the woman as it is for the woman to take the, the, the pain of childbearing and give that to the man. She just can't do that. And yet in our world today, it's celebrated if the man unloads or takes off the responsibilities given to him and gives them to the woman. And we see this all over the place. This is the sin of Adam on repeat, where a man refuses to work to take care of his family <clears throat> or refuses to step up and lead his family sacrificially this is what happens. This is passivity everywhere. This is a feminist household. This is men who really love men's events, but uh, they they come to church. They're involved. They they lament the fact that that you know church is for ladies or something like that, and then they don't actually do what God's called them to do in the context of a home. They're not doing family worship. They're not loving or giving an example to their family in any way. They're not living sacrificially. They're not leading in that way. They're actually making demands. Okay, so th- this is this is passivity. All right. Now, the opposite of that in the context of the home, the other figurehead masculine sin of this dominance or this rule that's not godly would be what Stephen Crowder just got busted for the way he was talking to his wife on video. If you haven't, if I'm, I'm kind of timestamping this video now because I said that. But if you don't know Stephen Crowder, he was just on video caught talking horribly to his wife. He's left his wife and was just really terrible. I mean, there's really no excuse for how he was speaking to his wife, but this is that dominance. Everybody knows this. There's a wake of damage with a dominant, aggressive man. And typically, because God has given authority to the man, aggression is going to come out somewhere. And if a man doesn't have a place or a group of guys or buddies or some sort of outlet for aggression and for, for that sort of thing, he's going to get he's going to express his authority somewhere. And often, with this, it's kind of like little man syndrome coming out in the context of the home. He can't be a man's man in a group or a company of men. He can't be the kind of guy that he wants to be. And so the way his rule comes out, the way his authority, the way his aggression comes out is towards his family. And so dominance ends up being the key, or not the key, it ends up becoming the, uh, really the, uh, the culture of the home is this man who's off the rails. Nobody knows if he's going to be happy today or angry today, or nobody knows if he's going to have kind words or evil words to his family today. His kids are scared to death of him. His wife doesn't like him and is scared of him. Some of these kinds of men end up using their rule in, in a way that hurts people physically or verbally. You guys all know the stories of this kind of guy, right? Okay, so the, the wake of damage is done by either of these men because in you know the, the background of, of his history of his life, you look back and you see people that were hurt by his passivity or per, hurt by his aggression. These are these archetypes, you know, sins. These are these, uh, these are these you know, figurehead sins that then go down into many other ways. Avoidance would be one of these and passivity in the home would back to passivity would be avoiding talking to your wife, avoiding disciplining your children, letting your children do what they want to do because you don't want to deal with the crying or you don't want to have to discipline for the same thing yet again. You just let it go because it's easier to let it go. You pacify rather than discipline. You provoke rather than teach or train. Provoking is so much easier than training. This is what happens in the context of a home of a guy like this. Inside of us, every single one of us guys, you know that some of these things are there and you have to work at addressing situations, running to responsibility rather than laying down responsibilities or running away from them. These are things we have to step into continually and perpetually year after year in the context of our home. It's so much easier to provoke than discipline in the context of our home. And yet we have to walk in obedience. These are masculine sins. As pastors, we have to address this in our churches and for our men because we want our men to be the kind of men that lead well, that love well, that aren't passive, and that aren't overly aggressive.
What about in the context of the church? Well, Nan and, and Michael Foster have done a great job talking about white knights. White knights are present to defend all the wrong sorts of things. They're uh, large and in charge for the wrong things, but for the right things, they're, they're absent. They're defending the female teachers. They're, you know, online talking about why people who are saying that, you know, women can or can't do this sort of thing are wrong and how mean they are and that sort of thing. They're present at church, but they're not doing anything at church. They're passive. This is what First Timothy chapter 2, when we're charged uh, for the men, a gender-specific command to raise holy hands without anger or quarreling in prayer. The reason I think Paul's doing that, and I did an episode on this a while back, is to address the passive men in the context of a local church. It's easy for men, and it always has been easy for men, to be present and yet not active in the context of the local assembly. And so the passive man is just present. He doesn't do anything. But he's there. He's at every function. He's there when the doors are open. He's even at some men's groups and even at the Saturday morning bacon fest when they talk about man things, whatever it may be. He might be there, but he's not active in the right sort of way. He's just present. He's not engaged. This is, it. again, these, these sins that we see that are common. And think about the men that you know. Think about inside of your own heart. And then think about the society at large. This is why men aren't present at churches largely in our country. This is passivity in the context of the church. Or the other way, which is the kind of guy that's always a problem to the pastors. He's always a problem in the church. He's always a problem at a members meeting. He's always a problem wherever he goes. He's always bringing up problems. It's it's control. It's domineering. It's trying to pull levers when you don't have the authority to pull levers in the, in, in the context of a local church. This comes out on things like Twitter, where brothers aren't listening to other brothers. They slander, accuse, they take the moral high ground, they use theological sleight of hand to throw other people under the bus and then don't listen when they respond. We see this right now going on with the Christian nationalism stuff. I just did an episode on that. But we see it like crazy with uh, pastors and theologians who are saying things about other people, misrepresenting them. And then when the people are responding, they're not responding to their response. They continue to, to continue to dig a hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and look foolish all the while. This is what passivity in the context of the church, even the context of online, looks like or what dominance and control looks like. When it's trying to control a situation rather than listening, you want to be a dominant, and you wouldn't say it this way, but you're being a dominant bully by, by controlling the levers. This is not godly. These are masculine sins in public display. This is taken outside of the home in the context of the church or even the Twitter verses you're talking to Christians back and forth or on Gab, wherever it may be. This is, again, this is what we got to look out for. These are proclivities. They're in us. We see it around us, and we've got to watch out for it. Okay, what about the world? Passive in the world. This is passivity in the world has become virtuous in our day for men. Men used to have a good political theology. They used to understand the civic space, and they used to understand their responsibility to a people rather than expecting the people to have responsibility towards them. In the home, church, and world, a good man sacrifices for those that are around him. This is sacrificial leadership, not to be confused with the, you know, the the taboo servant leadership. We don't want to get, get caught into that trap, right? But my goodness, Jesus came to be a servant. It's okay. Okay, sacrificial love in the home, sacrificial service in the context of the local church, and in the world as well, we are, are not laying demands at the feet of everybody else around us and saying, you must meet my demands for my sake. What we are saying is, I will live sacrificially and model and show you what it looks like to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me in every sphere of life. 
in every sphere of authority that God has established, I want to step into those things and do the best I can to, to do my civic duties the way God would have me. This is what we are called to do. But the passive man says, no, that's for everybody else. That's not for me. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian. This My kingdom is not of this world. The, the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. So I'm not going to be engaged in civic affairs at all. We'll let them work that out. They can deal with that. You know, the religious right, they can deal with that. Or the pagans can have it all. It doesn't matter to me. You take an Anabaptist approach or a light Anabaptist approach to everything, and you just say, well, what's the big deal about pluralism? It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, political theory? What's this Christian nationalism stuff? Which, by, if you don't know, listen to a couple episodes ago, it's, it's just basic historic Protestant understanding of, of the church and state that this country was founded upon. <laughs> like, it's not, it's that the Bible's authoritative of no matter what government you're in, God's word is supreme. So the passive guy just sits back and lets everybody else do that, but doesn't do his civic responsibilities. He doesn't obey Romans 13 and recognize that he has governing authorities. It just doesn't matter. Or the opposite would be, um, this is um, the, the guy in the public square that's fraudulent. He is in the political world. He slanders everybody just like uh, some people do in the private sector. Or some people do in, uh, in the Christian world is public slander. It's the guy that believes that laws are for everybody but for him. It's the guy that commits fraud. It's the th this is what dominance looks like in the public sphere. In the civic sphere, is is the guy is a bully publicly, where he doesn't bring his Christian ethics to the world. He runs slander campaigns or whatever it may be in the public sphere, or he just uh, is all about politics. That's all he talks about. He doesn't talk about anything else. It's just politics, 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 and for everybody else that's around him, they're miserable because that's all he talks about. So these are masculine sins that we've got to be aware of. These these figurehead sins, but again, all these splinter subcategories of what these masculine sins are like. The passivity takes millions of different forms. Dominance takes millions of different forms. And it, it reveals itself in every sphere of life. And we've got to be aware of that. So one of the things we're doing at our church is we're walking through that and talking about it. So this is masculine sins. Next week, feminine sins. Hopefully this is helpful as you're trying to get handles on how to address specific behaviors. And, you know, as we become the kind of men that are following the leading of the Holy Spirit and obeying God's word, we have God's commands that are bringing out, bring us out of these sin proclivities. God, God's commands reveal the specific sin struggles. So when, uh, when we are called to lift holy hands, it's addressing this passivity in the, in the context of the public worship. That, that's what it's being that's what's being addressed when we're called to love our wives as Christ loved loves the church and gave himself up for her that is addressing a specific sin where men are are loving themselves more than their families or they're putting their self, them, themselves first or they're making demands on their families rather than sacrificing for them rather than than living to lead and love in that sort of manner and so that specific command is given for these sin proclivities so recognize that, speak to it, and call men up to be the men that God has called us to be. I mean, this is what we want to be, right? We don't want to be in one ditch or the other. We want to follow the Lord and honor Him in all the ways that He's called us to do that. Okay, guys, I hope this has been helpful. Please like, subscribe, share, and all that good stuff. If you haven't yet left a rating or review on iTunes, please do. Consider that anyways. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.